0: My name is Jake Williams, and I am on staff here at Outpost Community Church as the Director of Ministries. And I get the privilege of wrapping up our series called Man the Outpost. And Man the Outpost is something that we've been talking about who we really are, why we named Outpost Outpost, and who we are here in Cody. And so I'm going to be wrapping up this sermon series uh, with this message called uh, Motivation Matters. And so we all have motivations for doing certain things. And I have motivations for doing certain things as well. And a lot of times, it's because of things that I experienced as a kid, uh, that's the motivation why I do things now. So um, I, some of my motivation are based upon being competitive. I love competition. I had two older brothers, so there was always that natural competition, right, with those guys. And then I also played a lot of sports. And so one of the sports I played was basketball. And at the end of my JV year, we had a basketball celebration wrap-up, and we went to a place called Gertie's Pizza, and we were just going to have a pizza party, we're going to head to the movies after, and it was all great. But because my competitiveness, right, kicked in, this, this place would bring around pizzas, Gertie's Pizza would bring around pizzas, and you'd just raise your hand, and they would come and give you a slice. And so we decided, hey, let's make a competition out of it, right? That's what natural teenage boys do. You make competitions out of anything. And so I said, hey, let's make a, a competition, see who can eat the most. And everyone was like, yeah, we're in, we're in. And so it, it, it gets going. And a couple guys drop off at four or five pieces. And I'm like, man, you sissies, let's go, let's keep going. So we keep going. And uh, I'm looking around, going, who is the guy that is gonna win this thing? And naturally, there's one dude who probably should win. He's like 230. He outweighed me by like 80 pounds. But I said, you know what? I think I got this. And so everyone was like, hey, this guy, his name was Reggie Jarvis, he's gonna win. And I was like, nah, deep down, I knew I've got this. But I was, I was like, we'll see what happens. And so we get going. The rest of the team drops out by 10 pieces, and so now it's just him and I, and we're at the point where we're pretty stuffed, and, uh, but we just keep going, 11, 12, 13. Now we're like locked on, right? We're making eye contact. We're both getting like the meat sweats, and we're going, okay, who's going to drop first? And so Reggie throws another one on his plate. I throw another one. We get to 16, and he throws in the towel, and I was like, dude, I'm done. But I, my motivation to win was so strong that I said, give me another. 17 pieces in, I was crowned champion. I was pretty stoked, bragged a little bit. But because my motivation, something that was good, competitiveness, right, it drove me to literal sickness. All the boys went and watched a movie, and I ended up having to drive myself home, and I curled in the fetal position on my couch for like four hours, contemplating, do I stick my finger down my throat to get up all that food? Or do I just... Let it process. And so I let it process, and I won, but I kind of actually lost as well. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today uh, is motivation. I want us to consider how a good thing can sometimes turn into a bad thing if we're not focused on God. So motivation is the reason someone acts a particular way, and it's a general desire to do something. Right? It's an underlying reason why we do anything that we do. It's the why to the how, or as Deb said, it's kind of the root to the fruit. So everything that we do comes from motivation, and you develop this primary motivation based upon life experiences, how you were raised, the values, the other things uh, that you've experienced, both good and bad that helps drive these motivations. If you grew up in a home where your mom and dad worked a lot, typically you have that drive to work a lot. If you were raised in a, a home where mom and dad is all about achievement, you have a desire and a motivation for achievement. And so I could probably go around and ask you guys, tell me about your upbringing and say, tell me about your parents. Tell me about the values and the morals that they had, and I could probably get a pretty good sense of what drives you today. What is your motivation for today? And so, uh, if we are to be honest with ourselves, however, I'm pretty sure that we would often be ashamed of our best actions if the world only knew the motives behind them. Whew, right? That's hard, because oftentimes our motives aren't good. You know, I'm not just speaking to you guys, I'm speaking to myself as well, because I grew up with this as well, right? Um, a lot of times, guys who preach up here and, and teach, they teach above themselves, and they can teach because of God's Word, and this is what God's Word says. And other times, guys preach out of life experience. And I'm going to be talking to you guys about life experience and the lessons that I learned through this um, this lesson that I needed to learn about what my true motives are. What are the things that are driving me, and why am I even serving this, this God I call Jesus? Why am I doing these things? And so uh, part of it was because of my upbringing. I grew up in an awesome Christian home where both parents loved Jesus, but what it did for me was it, uh, I, I started thinking, I got to be really good I got to be a good person so I don't let my parents down, I don't let the the name of Christ down, and so I did a lot of good things, a lot of good actions, right? So in high school, I abstained from drugs and alcohol, I uh, resisted temptation to be sexually active, I went to church weekly, I led Bible studies, Uh, I did these prayer meetings in the high school, and I did a lot of good things. I ended up going off to a Bible college and uh, helped lead ministry there, got into full-time ministry in my early 20s, leading a kid's ministry at a church plant they were a part of. And so by all accounts, I looked really, really good. I got the nickname for my brother's golden boy, right? I think they're a little jealous, but they called me golden boy to my mom all the time. And it was because my parents never had to worry about what I did because I was a good kid. In high school, I was called Bible Boy. I got all these, like, cool nicknames. But I was Bible Boy in high school because people were like, hey, Jake's not going to cuss. Jake won't do those things. Jake's a good kid. And by all accounts, I was a really good kid. And, uh, you know, some people even said, man, you're like a a little Pharisee. And that was kind of a badge of honor. I was like, yeah, yeah, I am a little Pharisee. I'm really good, you know. But, if I were to be honest, I would tell you that my motives weren't completely true, right? They were a mixed bag. They were a little bit of the spirit and a little bit of the flesh, a little bit of God and a little bit of Jake. Sure, I wanted God to get recognition, but I kind of wanted a little of of recognition myself as well. I wanted to point people to Jesus, but man, I wanted them to see me as I pointed them to Jesus. And so my motives weren't, weren't completely pure and noble, and this really came to a head and I learned the lesson about six years ago and I was struggling through a lot of different things and God kind of opened my eyes of how much I desired people to look at me before they even looked at Christ sometimes. And I, then I really understood why my desires were what they were. And I've been on a journey ever since of letting God purify my deceitful heart and as a result now, I'm not a little Pharisee, I can now say I'm a recovering Pharisee, Right? That's now what I self identify as. And I assure you, I'm not alone in this room. There's many of us who have hearts that are deceitful, who have hearts that are not of God. And Jeremiah 17:9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Every single one of us has a heart that is desperately sick. And because of our hearts and because they're deceitful above all things, we should constantly evaluate our own motives and be willing to be honest with ourselves about, about why we're choosing certain actions. Why are you sitting in the seat that you're sitting in today? If I were to ask you that and you were to be a completely honest 100%, we may get a bunch of different answers. There's a saying that says, Motives are invisible. But they are the truest test of character. Let me say that again. Motives are invisible, but they are the truest test of character. Man, that's a good quote, right? I think it's a good quote. Anybody else? Yeah? Cool. Our character drives our motives. The things that are within us is what is going to drive us. And if any of our uh, motives are of the spirit, they're going to be pushing us and others towards God. If they are of the flesh, they're going to be pushing us towards the world and the desires of the world. Hebrews 4, 4.13 says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him, who we must give an account. You may be able to fool a lot of people about what your motives are, but you're not going to fool God. One day, you, uh, your, all your motives, your actions, everything are going to be laid before God. And he's going to uh, ask you what those things are. And you're going to have to give an account. And that is a scary thing. You know, God doesn't want just uh, our actions. He also wants our motives to match our message. And if God didn't care about motives, then he wouldn't have hung out with the people he hung out with. When Jesus was on earth, he would have gone to the synagogue and he would have hung out with the Pharisees, right? Because they were doing the things that seemed noble, seemed right to other people. They looked the part, they sounded the part, right? They seemed like they were doing good things, but Jesus didn't hang out with them. In fact, he, he actually decided not to hang out with them at all. And he said to these guys that you are a bunch of hypocrites, You are dead on the inside. You're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look really good, but on the inside, you are dead bones. There's nothing living inside of there. They looked apart, but he saw to the depths of their heart. Proverbs 16.2 says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives, they're weighed by the Lord. So what are your driving motivations? Why are you here? Why do you serve Jesus? That's the question I want to ask. And we're going to be opening our Bibles, turning to 2 Corinthians 5. So if you guys want to turn there, you guys can follow along. But from looking at Scripture, particularly this passage, I've identified five legitimate biblical motivations of why we should follow Christ and obey Him. Then we'll look at five illegitimate motivations of why we follow ourselves. And we may claim that it's following Christ. So, the first five we're going to be looking at legitimate biblical motivations are fear, love, duty, others, and eternity. And we can find all these in this passage. So, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5 and read this chapter here. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. "'For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. "'If indeed putting on, we may not be found naked. "'For while we still in this tent we groan, being burdened, "'not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, "'so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. "'He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, "'who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. "'So we are always of good courage.'" We know that while we are home in this body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is at the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in the right mind, it is for you. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in this passage, it's a great passage, and we can find five legitimate reasons why we should follow Christ. The first one, is fear, and I know some of you guys might be like, wait, we, we serve Christ out of fear? Well, let's look what Paul says in verse uh, 11. It says, therefore, which takes us back to the previous verses of 9 and 10, and it says, and Paul notes that he wants to be pleasing to the Lord, and why? Because in verse 10, he says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. It'll be a place of reckoning, where we must tell our Lord how we lived and what he gave us and what we did with that gift. The time, the resources, the the knowledge, the love, all those things that he gave us, we'll have to give an account for. 1 Corinthians 3.13 tells us that all of our works will become evident to God on that day, and the truth of our lives and the motives of our ministry will be revealed. Depending on what we built that's what we'll receive as our due return. It says in this verse, 1 Corinthians 3.13, but on that judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done, and the fire will show if a person's work has any value. Psalm three eight also says, let the whole earth tremble before the Lord. All inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. There's going to be a day that we stand in awe of the Lord, and we should be a little bit of afraid. And the fear here is a, not a fear of like, I'm, I'm super afraid of the punishment that God's gonna give me, but man, we're standing before a powerful God and he deserves all of what uh, is, that we can give to him. The second point is love. We find that here in verse 14. We do what we do because of what he has done for us. The love that Jesus demonstrated on the, lo- on the cross compels us. The word compel here is interesting that it's two things pushing against another thing that's in the center. So when it's like two forces being pushed and there's something in the center. And so you can think of, um, think of like an encampment, right? When there's an army that encamps around another to besiege a city, they encamp and they try to force something out of that city. And so there's no way that city can leave because there's an army that is encamped around it. Or think of it this way, right? We're in, we're in farm country, we're in ranch country, right? And so we, we, these cattle chutes, when you go to brand or you go to put uh, medication in these animals, these cows, these cows go through these things called a cattle chute. And they push in on both sides to make it so that animal can't do anything. And it's now controlled based upon the cattle chute. And so then the farmer can do whatever he needs to do to that animal, And so the word Paul uses to describe the love of Christ has gripped him. What Jesus has done on the cross and the knowledge of what it cost Jesus compels him. It drives him, right? It drives him to live for Christ and not for himself. There's no motivation stronger than coming to the understanding that not only that someone loves you, but that they would also give their life up for you. And it has been said that Christ died our death so that we might live his life for him. Christ died our death for us, that we might live his life for him. The third thing is the duty that God has given us, or calling. We do what we do because of what, his, what God has given us. Because we're new creations in Christ, because of what he did on the cross, we've been called to carry the mission of Jesus. Jesus. Instead of pursuing our own goals, now we're going to be pursuing the goals of God. Instead of doing the things we want to do, we've given those up. We've laid those before the Lord, and we say, we're no longer going to do those. Now we're going to do what you asked us to do. And God asked us to be ministers of reconciliation. In verse 20, it says that Paul goes on to tell us that we are now ambassadors for Christ. And when we think about uh, manning the outpost, we think about that. That's something that we've talked about on a regular basis, that we want to be ambassadors for Christ here in Cody. So w- an outpost is a place in which people go to midway before they can get safely home. And so we are ambassadors for Christ because this is not our home. We've been entrusted with this message and it's a simple message on, uh, on what this life is really about. It's not on... Uh, The message isn't about how to live a good life. It's not a message that will simply make us healthy or wealthy. It's not a message that helps us just get along with everybody else. It's a message that uh, frees people from the bondage of sin so that we can live a life with Christ. That's what it's at. So this message is about saving souls. Souls from eternity uh, where they're going to be separated from God. We want to be those people. We want to be ambassadors for people. Here in Cody and the surrounding areas, we we say, listen, God has given us a message of reconciliation, and we want to be able to help reconcile you to to your God, the one who has saved you, has given his life for you. God is pleading with us his ambassadors for the lost humanity, pleading with those outside of Christ so that they will have a relationship with him. The free gift of God is given to all. This is the call to ministry that every Christian receives, whether or not you know it. As a result of being a new creation, you are an ambassador of Christ. If you said yes to Jesus, that is a title that you have. You can't say, "Ah, I don't really want that. Oh, that's a, that's a lot of weight. Ooh, uh, you're right. It is a lot of weight, but God has given it to you, and that is your title. We are ambassadors for Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. So that brings us to the next point. A legitimate reason is we do this for others. We do it for those who are far from Jesus. So God is calling each of us to see the lost around us, to see where they're headed and this, if they don't know Jesus, this is an eternity in hell separated from their loving God. He's challenged us to wake up and do what Jesus created us to do and be evangelists that he created us to be. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's a a guy named Kyle Eidelman, and he says this He says, We love others best when we love God the most. That's a, that's a great one. We love others best when we love God the most. Which brings us to the next and our last one, which is eternity. We do what we do because of where our home is. This is not our home. We are foreigners here in this land. Our citizenship is not here on earth, it is in heaven. We long for our eternal home, but we are not yet there. We can only imagine what that's going to be like, right? Some of you guys long to be with Jesus, and I hope that we all long to be with Jesus, and one day we will be. So going back here uh, in verse 2, it says that uh, in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, and in verse it says, uh, encourages us to have courage while we are here on this earth, away from the Lord. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing I did have desired for the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. Someday soon, we're going to be seeing Jesus face to face. And that should put a smile on all of our faces, right? He's the point. He's the reason that we do the things. That should be our motivation. But God also gives us another couple things, right? This may help you guys as well. Once we get to heaven, did you guys know that we're going to have perfect bodies? (laughs) Some of you guys are like, sign me up. That's my motivation. Uh Uh-huh, right? Some people, uh, uh, we're going to have perfect relationships, There's not going to be a lot of this uh, bickering and arguing, right? We're going to have perfect relationships. We're going to have a brand new world where the things that are broken here are going to be made new again. There's not going to be any darkness. Do you know that the Bible says that uh, God's radiance is going to be the light that, that lights heaven? And there's going to be complete and fullness of joy. Man, it's going to be an awesome place. I'm excited for that. God loves us that much that he would do that for us. But even if he didn't, he is still still worthy of our praise. So the five things that I just said were fear, duty, uh, fear, love, duty, others, and eternity. Those are the five legitimate motivations of why we do what we do. And if you are doing anything outside of that, it's not of the Lord. Now I'm going to give you five illegitimate motivations as well. So there's the first one we typically uh, indulge in is self. Okay, This one, it's a big bag of different things, right? So we do things to please ourselves. We want to make ourselves happy. We want to make ourselves right. We want to make ourselves more powerful. All, all these different things is to please ourselves. And when the end goal of man is to make ourselves happy, we use the word uh, humanism. And this is the end of all being is that it's the happiness of man. The reason for existence is man's happiness. And sometimes we say, oh, I'm going to do all these things for this reason. But really, it's just to make ourselves happy. Humans establish standards and morals that drive motivation upon happiness. If If you don't get happiness out of certain things, you don't do it, right? If you come to church and you're not happy when you leave, you may not come back. If you aren't happy by spending time with others, then you may not do it because it's really all about us. We make it all about us. How can we become more healthy, more wealthy, more happy? And it becomes really this inward focus, right? And we even do that sometimes with our salvation. What can we get out of God? If I say yes to Jesus, then he's going to make it so that my life here on earth is a little bit better. Or we have the flip view, and we say, you know what? When we get to heaven, man, it's going to be so much better. It's going to be all about us. I have news for you. It's not about all about you. It's going to be all about God. And so the world here is all about God. Heaven is all about God. But yet we make it all about ourselves, right? Does God want us to be happy? Sure. But that's not the primary product. It's a byproduct because God created us for his pleasure, Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they are created and have their being. And Colossians 1.16 reiterates the point. says, All things were created by Him and for Him. It's all about Him. So sometimes we make it about us and we say it's all about our happiness. If that's your motivation, it's wrong. Also, Another thing that we do, second point, is that sometimes we, make, we say, hey, um, we got to earn God's grace. We got to earn it. What do we call that? We call it legalism. You've heard that word thrown around in the church a lot, and uh, it's really about us trying to earn God's favor, which we can't do. Right, it's about laws kept. It's about rituals performed. It's about going to church. It's about looking the part. It's about um, speaking well. It's about having the facade of a Pharisee, and we call that legalism. You can't earn God's love. Ephesians two eight nine says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of our own doing. It's a free gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast." If you're sitting in here thinking that because uh, you're here on a Sunday that you're going to earn God's grace, you're wrong. You're here because God is worthy of it. The third thing that sometimes we do that motivates us is guilt. Sometimes there's shame and there's guilt of what you guys have done in the past. And you're like, man, I guess I got to go and do the things I need to do because of my past. I wasn't a really good person. So I'm going to go and I'm going to do all these things, right? And a failure to trust God to forgive sins may cause people to try to serve God in order to work off their guilt. Some of us have done some pretty horrible things in our life. Some of us have had pains caused to us, and some of us have caused pains to others. And we say, "Man, we're going to go to God. We're going to go to church. We're going to get in community groups." And we're just going to try to do these things to, uh, you know, serve God in order to work off this guilt. But this ignores God's promise of complete forgiveness to all who confess their sins. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So you can't do these things out of guilt. Another one is tradition. Why do you do them? No, that's just a the way we've always done them, right? Well, why do you go to church? Well, I, I don't know. I've always done it this way. There's an experiment called, it's the five monkey experiment. There's a researcher who uh, put five monkeys in a cage. He dangled some bananas above them and put a ladder to the, to the bananas. The first monkey goes up to the bananas and picks one off. And the researcher immediately douses the monkeys for five minutes with cold water. And they're now freaked out. Water stops, and then another monkey says, hey, the, the bananas are still up there. So he climbs the ladder, pulls up off another banana, and guess what happens? Researcher douses them with cold water for five minutes. And then water stops. They kind of get their bearings again. But then something interesting happens. There's a monkey who wants the banana, and he's looking around, and so he goes to get another banana, but then the other monkeys attack him because they know what's going to happen. And so... At that point, no monkeys now go to the bananas anymore. So then the researcher decides to pull one of the monkeys out, put a new monkey in, and that new monkey's going, guys, there's bananas. So he goes to climb up the ladder, and he gets pummeled by the rest of the monkeys because they know that they're going to get doused with cold water. So then he does this again and removes another monkey, puts that one in, that monkey t- decides to do the same thing. And the first monkey that was replaced, he doesn't even know why he got pummeled, but he knows that if I go, anyone goes to those bananas, you're gonna get pummeled. So that new monkey starts climbing and that original monkey pummels him. And, and he doesn't even know why, but he's like, hey, I got pummeled for trying to t- get a banana, so therefore I'm going to do the same thing. The researcher does this, all the original monkeys are out, there's now five new monkeys, and they, none of them go to get that banana. But they don't even know why, but they just continue to pummel each other if anyone tries. And they, and ev- they didn't even get wet, which is pretty interesting. And so my point being is sometimes we do things because uh, out of tradition. Why do we do them? Well, we don't know, but they did it, so I'm going to do it, right? Mom did it, so I'm going to do it. Grandparents did it, so I'm going to do it, right? Why, why do you wear nice clothes? To church. I don't know, because that's what we've always done. Why don't you wear hats in church? I don't know. That's what we've always done. Here at Outpost, there's a lot of hats in church. And that's something that's kind of like that grind a little bit. Like, you can't be a Christian and wear a hat in church, right? But we, we do. And there's people looking around going, mm-hmm. you're not sanctified, bro. I see the hat. Right? And but that's something. But why? I don't know. It's because we do not wear hats in church right? And so there's a lot of different things that we do out of tradition. That is not a good motivator. And the last one is, I didn't know what to call this, so Addison, helped me. We're calling it the ought-tos. I ought to, right? Easter rolls around, and it's like, hey, what should we do? Well, we ought to go to church. Well, why? No, we ought to, right? We don't even know why. Christmas rolls around, and those people come back, and well, why are you here? Uh, I do I oughta, right? It's Christmas. That's what we do. And so you do things without even thinking about them. There's no reason behind them. And so we don't want Christianity to be about these things. We don't want Christianity to be about self and happiness. We don't want it to be about legalism or guilt or tradition or the ought to's. Christianity, Christianity is different. It's not about what we do that matters. It's about what's on the inside that m- matters. God's saving grace ignites in the heart of his children a radical shift of ambition and motivation. Where once our thoughts, desires, and actions were motivated by us and personal happiness, now they're motivated by the kingdom of God. Where once ambitions were all about what we want, now it's what can we do to achieve the will of God. God wants our motives to match our message. So wrapping up, I want you guys to fall in love with Jesus. That's what's really going to change your motivations. When you start getting your your eyes off of yourself and your happiness and the things that you think you deserve, and you start falling in love with Jesus even more, that's what's going to change your motives, why you do things. Right? There's a lot of reasons why we should do things or why you think we should do them, but really it's about what God has done for us. There's a lot that God's done for us. He paid the ultimate price on the cross. John 3, 16-17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn him, but in order that all might be saved. God's love is for us. It compels us. As Paul experienced, it pressed in on all sides and he couldn't even do anything outside of that. I want the love of Christ to compel you to do the things that he wants, not what you want. I want the love of Christ to compel you to love others. I want the love of Christ to compel you to serve Jesus because that's what's gonna change things. Listen, there's a lot of people who need to know about the love of God and we are called ambassadors to be that. I've never heard of a Christian being called a hypocrite for being too loving. Let's love. And you know why we love? Because First John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. So let's love. I'm going to end with a couple questions for you guys that um, have just stirred my thought process this week. And it's just really thinking about the motivation for all of this. So here's a few questions I want you guys to think about and ponder. If no one ever knows what I'm doing, giving, sacrificing, serving, would I still do it? Listen, I struggled even writing this message this week because I thought, you know what, I want to to write a message and I want people to go, man, that was really good right? I wanted a little bit of recognition to go to God, and maybe a little bit to me too, right? And so I struggled with that. Even writing a, a message about motivation, I had to check my heart. What is my motivation for even giving a message like this? Another question is, if there's no visible payoff for doing this, would I, would I even do it? Would I joyfully take a lesser position if God asked me to? If God said, hey, you know what? I want you to go serve with the kids, I want you to go clean the, clean the bathrooms. I want you to paint a hallway that no one will even know that you painted it. Would you do it? Am I doing this for the praise of others or how it makes me feel? If I had to suffer for continuing of what God has called me to do, would I do it? If others misunderstood me or criticized me, would I give up? If those whom I am serving show no gratitude? And in fact, maybe they even throw uh, vile things back at me, words that kind of hurt me. Would I just throw in the towel? One that really got me was if eventually when I get to heaven and God wasn't there, would I be satisfied? Would you be satisfied if you get to heaven and God's not there? Yeah, sure, you get the, all the pleasures of heaven, but you don't get the presence of God. Would you be satisfied? Or maybe this, if you were never promised heaven, would you serve Christ? That one's tough. If we're never promised heaven, is God still worthy of our praise? Man, for me, I had to think about that. I had to check my heart. Would I worship Jesus knowing that I wouldn't ever spend eternity with him, but because everything was created for his pleasure, Would I still do it? So I want you guys to be thinking about those things as uh, the team comes up. And I want you guys to uh, check your hearts. What are your motivations? Why are we going to sing this song? Why are we going to do these things? So let's pray. God, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for what you've done on the cross. I thank you for your son, Jesus I thank you that you loved us so that we could love you and love others. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that's within us that's not of you, I pray that you remove it. Lord, we know that one day we will stand before you, our Lord, our God, our creator, and give an account. Lord, there's gonna be fire that reveals the motives of our heart, and I pray, Lord, that our motives will be pure. They will be noble, they'll be of you. And God, if they're not, Lord, I pray that you change our heart. Lord, I pray that you do what you need to do in our lives, so that our legitimate motivations will be to praise you, to serve you. Lord, help us with that today. We say these things in your name. Amen.